I mentioned, uh, actually last week at, at the end of that talk, thank you, buddy, I mentioned that we were wrapping up one series, um, and then we were starting a brand new series today, and I was 50% right. Uh, we were wrapping up a new series uh, last weekend, which we did, but uh, I'm not starting a new series today. Uh, I, I'm going to for today and next week uh, do a couple of standalone talks that uh, I feel really strongly about. Uh, in, in fact, part of the 930 service today, there was one of our ushers that he was dressed especially sharp today. And so jokingly, of course, when I walked in, he said, you know, I'm dressed, I'm ready to go. I think I would like to deliver the message this morning. And I said to him, I said, listen, you think you can bypass all the hard work and hours and hours and hours that goes into putting together a talk and just stand up and give the funnest part of it, which is the actual message itself? said, not going to happen. But here's what I really believe. I believe that God wants to touch you today. I really believe that he wants to encourage you and, and speak to you. I want to start with something that I read in a book um, a, a couple of years back, two, three, four years ago. And it's a story about, and some of you maybe recall this, although it's not one of the more popular uh, Olympic events, uh, sporting events within the Olympics, I should more accurately say. But this is the 2004 Summer Olympics, and there was an athlete in that Olympics by the name of Matthew Emmons. Matthew Emmons. He was solidly on track for the gold in his sport, which they didn't offer this in my high school, by the way, but it was the 50-meter three-position rifle final. Did they offer that in your high school? They did not mind. But it's an event, legitimate event in the Olympics that very skilled people participate in. Emmons was up for what was going to be his final shot. And he was so far ahead of all of the other competitors that all he had to do, all he had to do was send a bullet anywhere through the inner ring of the target. If he could just, not even the bullseye, not even close to the, but anywhere in the inner ring, it would like lock up for him the gold medal. I mean, something that he had prepared a lifetime for. So he got ready mentally. He, he paused in his breathing, he took aim, and then he fired, and the bullet passed right through the bullseye, immediately through the bullseye, but he was then, this guy was very puzzled, Matthew Emmons, when he noticed that the tone indicating a hit did not sound. Emmons then realized that the bullseye he had hit was actually on the wrong target. He dropped from first place and virtually, uh, what was a gold medal, and ended up in eighth place all because he miss the right target. He shot at the wrong target. And a lot of times, friend, that's, you and I have done that in life. We're like, I, I'm on this path, and I think that this is the right path, and at least this is the path that I want to be on. And I'm headed in direction. I've got my eye on a target. I'm moving that way. And then we reach a point in our lives where we realize, you know what? I was not on the right path at all. And I hit together an all, uh, uh, you know, an altogether wrong target. And it, it was not what I thought. It did not bring me the fulfillment. It did not bring me the satisfaction. It did not bring me the significance that I thought I would really have in my life. Actually, you came to that sudden and painful realization that you were on the wrong path and you hit the wrong target. And then what do you do when that happens? How do you pick up the pieces? And more specifically, what I know that God wants me to talk about this morning is, is how do you and I step away from our past? And how do we walk into the future? Because all of us can look back on our past and we can say, oh, man, if I could only go back and if I could redo my past, if I could only get a do-over, a mulligan, a blank 
page. You know, if I had a giant eraser, many of you would feel like I do, to be able to just say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to erase some of these mistakes I've made in my life, some of these wrong choices. And some of you, for you, it is much more deeper than that. It's more painful than that. It's like you look back on your life and you look back on some of the choices that you make and you say, how in the world could I ever hope or long for an optimistic future at all when there's been so many mistakes I've made? In fact, some of you, I know this, you're thinking, man, Pastor Jeff, if you could only hear my story, if you could only hear what I've done, mistakes I've made, choices I've made, you would not be saying something like that to me that you can move into a future with confidence. And, And listen, I may not know your story. I can tell you by now because I'm not a rookie pastor anymore. I've been around the block a few times as a pastor, and I've heard some stories that would make most people shake in their boots, and initially I would. But I could hear your story, and maybe there would be some shocking elements contained within it. But the reality is I would still, having heard your story, having heard your mistakes, having heard your regrets, maybe some of the guilt and some of the shame, I would still look at you and say, but yes, you can walk away from your past, and you can step into a future that is bright and hopeful because you're going to meet God in your future. But how do you get to that place? How do you move beyond like, you know, I've I've blown it, I've made mistakes, and today what I want to do is I want to talk to you out of the Old Testament. A lot of times people feel like, you know, the Old Testament is just so archaic, I don't see how it could be relevant to my life. But you're going to see today that the story, you're going to find some identity within this story yourself. It goes into the life of a prophet by the name of Jeremiah who had a very difficult assignment under God. Jeremiah is a prophet And as a prophet, his assignment would be to listen to God as keenly as he could, to discern the voice of God, God, and then take the message of God to the people. And so, like, hear and discern, and then take and deliver the message. And so, he's doing that to the people that God had given him responsibility for, and he urged them, and this is not going to be the first time, to once again obey and to live within the compliance of the covenant, all right? Now, let me take just a moment and tell you what I mean by the covenant. When God's people started out, even uh, many, many, many years before Jeremiah, we go all the way back to the time of Moses. And I've been reading recently my devotion, how that, you know, how that God's people ended up in Egypt. And now God is going to lead them out of Egypt because Egypt for them is not what it once was for the people of God. Now it is a place of bondage and slavery, and God is going to lead them out. And when God leads them out, and he's going to lead them by Moses into a land of promise, but there's a pit stop that happens along the way. When Moses goes up on top of Mount Sinai, and you will remember the story, a lot of you will, how that he has these two stone tablets, and God is going to write down on these two stone tablets the commandments, the Ten Commandments. Not so that it would take the joy out of their lives, but so that it would give them some guardrails, some perimeters, some boundaries, because, you know, they didn't really have that kind of structure in their life. And so it's basically they could get on any path and head toward any destination or any target. And God says, no, 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 no. I love you too much for that. I want you to have a life of fulfillment and achievement and satisfaction, a life where not, you're not, you know, always living in turmoil. And so I'm going to give you some guardrails. If you want to move into a good, productive, regret-free kind of life, then here's some guardrails for you. In fact, I want you to look on the screen. This goes back to Exodus. This is uh, very, very early in the Old Testament. It says this. This is God speaking not to Jeremiah at this time, but to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, come up the mountain to me. Wait there, and I will give you two stone tablets. 
on these are the teachings and the commands I have written to instruct the people. And so, uh, you know, God is going to have a word for his people. He's going to have, you know, encouragement for his people. He's going to have laws. He's going to have a covenant for his people that if they will follow that, their life is going to be extraordinarily blessed. But they didn't want to listen. They simply refused to honor the covenant. And to make matters worse, they once again reinserted all kind of Baal uh, worship and Molech worship and pagan uh, worship into their life. In fact, by the time we get up to Jeremiah's day, what they had actually done, they had brought in, in this case, the worship and allegiance, not of the Egyptian gods as God's people originally had under uh, Moses when they went astray in their idolatry, but now in addition to these Egyptian gods, they're brought into their, and I'll touch on this in a moment, their pantheon of gods, Canaanite gods and Assyrian idols, and they bowed their hearts before the gods Baal and Molech. And so this is the way, and, and again, I don't want to get too technical here, but I want you to understand how that they got on the wrong path and was headed in the wrong destination and going to hit the wrong target. See, there's this term, and I'll just kick it out. Most of you know it. Mono meaning singular or one. Uh, God wanted them to be monotheistic. He was the one true God. The Lord your God is, is Lord. You shall have one God. You know, that even goes back to the Ten Commandments. There's only one God. Do not put any other gods before me. And God is saying, I'm the one true God. So he wanted them to be monotheistic, his people monotheistic in their worship, but they were not monotheistic in their worship. They were actually entered into polytheism, and you're saying, oh, man, what, what's going on there? And that is not the worship of one God. That is the worship of a multitude or a pantheon of gods. So by this time, and I want you to hang in here with me, by this time in Jeremiah's day, so most of the people would say, yeah, we know and love God, but God was just one of many gods to them. There were these Assyrian gods and these Egyptian gods and these Canaanite idols, and it was like this plethora of all these gods, and God was just one among many, and what they wanted to do is they wanted to try to appease these various gods so that maybe there would somehow be some blessing and fulfillment in their life. And God said, that is not my plan for you. And so he raised up Jeremiah the prophet, and he said, I want you to call them back into the covenant. I want you to call them back into their monotheistic worship, where they're to worship me and me alone, because that's the way their lives are going to go in the right direction. But again, they didn't want to hear it. They refused to listen to Jeremiah and openly more and more rebelled against God and disobeyed God. And so Jeremiah, again, he's getting these messages from God and he's taking the messages of God, delivering them to people, the people of God. And he declares that if they don't turn, if they don't change, if they don't get on the right path, that what God was going to do, not cause, but that God was going to allow an invasion to happen from a powerful, powerful army and nation in the north, which would be the Assyrians. But again, he's stepping it up, and they're not listening. They're just continuing in their disobedience. They're continuing in their rebellion. All right, one other matter before we go back into the Jeremiah story. I want you to keep in mind that there is a contrast that is mentioned in the Bible, and maybe you've never thought of it in this way. There is the Sinai covenant that I just mentioned to you, and that's when, you know, the uh, Israelites are coming out of Egypt. They're headed for land of promise toward Canaan, and so Moses, God's going to give Moses the law for the people to bless their lives and help their life. And so he calls Moses, we saw this a moment ago, up to the top of Mount Sinai. There's these two stone tablets. And God is going to write on these tablets with his own finger the Ten Commandments to give them these 
this direction, these guardrails for their lives. So that's the Sinai covenant. But there's also another covenant, this one mentioned in the um, New Testament. It doesn't have a very illustrious name. It's simply called the New Covenant. And the instructions of it uh, are going to be not inserted on tablets of stone, but instead inscribed on our hearts. In fact, look at this next verse up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 3, it is clear, this is Paul speaking, that Christ wrote this letter and sent it by us. It is written not with ink, but with what? With the Spirit of the living God, and not on stone tablets, but on, what is it? Say it with me, but on human hearts. So Sinai Covenant, very different from the New Covenant. Sinai Covenant, God calls Moses, come to the mountain, and I'm going to write on those stone tablets with my own finger the Ten Commandments and other laws that he, again, wanted to use to bless and help their life. In the New Covenant, now God is going to more personalize it by the Holy Spirit. He's going to write on the tablets of our heart. Now, here's a question. I'm just setting all of this up, and I want you to get it now. Here's a question that I think all of us need to consider. If you've made some mistakes in the past, and all of us have, is it still possible to move forward with a God future? Is it still possible? And some of you, again, you're just thinking, no way, no how. Man, you know my story. You know my life. You know my regret. You know my guilt. You know my shame. I cannot give hopeful or optimistic at all because I've just made so many mistakes. I've done so much wrong. But back to this Old Testament book. It becomes very clear because, again, God has a good plan, right? He's got a good path for them to be on, a target that he wants them to hit because that's going to be so beneficial for their life. And God loves his creation. God wants to help his creation. He loves people. And so that's why he created people to be in relationship with people. And so God wants to lead them in the right direction. And so Jeremiah keeps going back, and, and the states are getting higher and higher because they're becoming more disobedient, more rebellious. They're not going to listen. And so, you know, as they continue in their ignorance and rejection, you know, um, Jeremiah keeps going back. And he's hoping that they're going to listen, but the reality is they're not. And, you know, to just take it from that point forward, if they were just ignoring what he was saying, if they were just, you know, mildly rejecting it, it would be a minor consequence, but it's, it's a lot more challenging for Jeremiah than that. In, in fact, on one occasion, uh, Jeremiah is actually arrested in the temple courts. That's, that would be like in our modern context. He was arrested on church grounds. And, and you say, now, hold on, what was he doing? That's right. He was taking a message from God for the people that God loved and created and wanted to call them into a covenant relationship. And he was going forward in obedience to God to deliver the message, but it was getting him into all kind of trouble. And in fact, there was a priest who was not a, a, a good priest. He had the title, but his heart was not in the right condition. His, his name was Pashur, P-A-S-H-U-R. And Pashur so hated Jeremiah that what he actually did is he actually had him arrested and placed in prison and had his feet and, and wrists put in stocks. And those were devices of torture that they could keep it as narrow or as wide as possible just to, to make it more torturous. And so there's this incredible venom being directed toward Jeremiah. He's being hated for delivering the message and sort of messing up their neat little world. Eventually, some additional priests 
and false prophets conspire together, and they actually demand that he be executed. So now each time, and, and he just keeps going back, and God, I'm, I'm doing what you want me to do, and I, I know these, that you love these people, and I, I know that you want to call them back into a covenant relationship, but now it's not that they're just ignoring, not that they're just rejecting, but God, it is it's becoming very painful for me personally. So, you know, these priests and false prophets demand that he be executed. Uh, Jeremiah is thrown into a deep storage tank, left for dead, later rescued by a few sympathizers. And because, think about this, if, if, if you think you've got some problems, I mean, it's just getting worse and worse. And so finally, he just reaches a point where he said, they're not listening anyhow. So what does Jeremiah do? He actually... He actually leaves the city, and then, because he leaves the city where the people are not listening to him anyhow, he is arrested uh, on this accusation that he is deserted to the enemy, and he's thrown back into prison, and he actually remains in prison until the city that he said is going to be overthrown is actually overthrown. So, you, you just think about this. And when you realize this very difficult assignment that he had from God, maybe just do a little timeout. Here it is, Super Bowl Sunday. We'll do a timeout for just a moment, and I want to ask you this question. If, If Jeremiah just said, tired of it, done, you know, this is not working out, I'm finished, you know, who do I submit my resignation to? Do I just tear it up, you know, before God and the world of... And, and then all of a sudden, somebody comes to you and says, hey, by the way, you know, Prophet Jeremiah, he's quit this job. He's looking for another job now, and, and we've got an opening here. Would you be interested? And all of us would say, absolutely not. Could you imagine a human resource director handing to you the job description that Jeremiah actually has? So here he is, and he's seeking to call them back into relationship with God, and it's just getting worse all the time. There's a Bible scholar by the name of Samuel Schultz who's actually written this concerning Jeremiah, that he actually faced more opposition and encountered more enemies than any other Old Testament prophet. And I believe that that scholar is exactly right. I mean, when you start looking at at the various ones, you look at Isaiah and you look at Daniel and you look at, you know, Nahum and Habakkuk and you start looking at Obadiah and you just go right through the list of all the major prophets, all the minor prophets. I mean, this assignment that Jeremiah has is the most difficult one. And maybe you're wondering the same thing I've wondered when I've studied his life. Why, if things were so going so badly for Jeremiah, why wouldn't he just quit? Why wouldn't he just tell God, done, you know, God, I, I want to do the right thing, but the more I seek to do the right thing and deliver your message to the people, the reality is it just makes it all the more worse for me. And God, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I, you know, it's not being helpful anyhow. They're not listening, so... I've just quit. I'm, I'm finished. And any of us would understand that he would just quit in the middle of such adverse uh, circumstances. But um, I want you to take a look at what he says in Jeremiah 20 and 9. It gives us some insight. He wanted to quit. There are times he wanted to throw in the towel. But look at what he said. He said, sometimes, this is Jeremiah speaking now, sometimes I say to myself, I will forget about the Lord. I'm done with this. There's too much personal pain. I will not speak anymore in his name. Every time I speak up in his name, I end up in prison. I end up in stots. Somebody's threatening to kill me. It's just going all wrong. And, and he says all that. I want to quit. I want to give up. But then look at this next part, friends. You've got to see this. But then his message becomes like a burning fire inside me, deep within my bones. I get tired of trying to hold it inside of me. And finally, I can't hold it in any longer. I cannot hold it in. I've got to let it out. 
And so Jeremiah keeps speaking God's message. He does, friends. And they keep on disobeying. And they keep on ignoring the warnings until finally this invasion happens that he has been warning about. He keeps saying, listen, God loves you. God cares about you. God wants to call you back into a covenant relationship with him. And if you don't do it, if you don't do it, I'm just sounding a warning, Jeremiah, saying there's an invasion coming. And when it happens, it is going to be so bad for all of us. And the invasion, because they continued in their rebellion, the invasion actually happens. It's unleashed. And scores of people are taken captive by the Babylonians. They will soon be displaced from their homeland. They're going to be stripped away from their families. They're going to be taken to other places where they had never lived before, foreign countries that they did not want to go to. Their houses were demolished. The temple was destroyed. The city that they had once thought was so well defended and immovable is now in ruins. Jerusalem is utterly devastated, and it all happens, and it's recorded in history, even by non-Christian historians. It all went down 587 B.C. In fact, many scholars have even pinpointed it with more precise um, dates. In, in fact, there's a lot of scholars that say that it actually happened on March, the 15th, March 15th and 16th, 587 B.C., and there's just ruin and there's devastation. And I imagine then there's people saying, well, why, why didn't I listen? Now look. Look at my family. Look at, look at the city. Look at the temple. Look at our homes. Look at the walls that we thought could never be penetrated. And now our city lines in ruins. Now, I want us to step from that because you needed to understand what was going on there to be able to move to this next segment. There are many of you that are seated right here in this theater. That, that's how you feel about your life. You look at your life and you say, you know what? I was on a path and I was hoping that that would be the right path. I was aiming at a target and I was hoping I was aiming at the right target. I was doing my own thing. And yeah, I knew that there was some deviation from God's purpose and plan for my life. But you know what? I just, I, I just wanted to, you know, stay on this path. I wanted to do this. I wanted my life to go this direction. And maybe you just got very off-center from what was God's plan and purpose for your life. And now you look around at your life, and you look at some of the mistakes that you made, some of the choices, and you look at some of the decisions of your past, and you just say, my life is like smolder and ruins. There's so many segments of my life that have been devastated. There's so many regrets I have. Like I said earlier, if I just had a big eraser where I could just go and just, you know, erase times in my life, maybe seasons in my life, and that would never be a part of me any longer. And maybe you wonder, you know, have I done such irreparable damage in my life in the past that there's no way that I can move forward? There's no, why would I even fool myself? Why would I even lie to myself and think that the future could be good when there's so much junk and garbage in my past? Maybe you say, I've brought into my current reality baggage and junk and sin, and there's no way that I could ever live long enough to somehow overcome it. And some of you have even told yourself, it's like, man, if I, could, if I could just go back. Some of you have said things like this to yourself. If I could have only been raised in a Christian home where there was a respect and God was a priority at home, but you look and say, well, that was not in my life. Some of you are saying, if I could only stop drinking, 
If I could only stop using drugs, if I could only change that part of my life. There's a man recently, in fact, if he was standing right beside me, you would have the same outward observation. You'd say, this is a fine, fine man. He's got his life together. He doesn't have any problems. He seems happy. He seems joyful. And I can remember this time, not too long ago, when he came to me, tears coming down. He just laid his head over my shoulder, and he just put his arms around me, and he just started weeping like a baby. He said, you know, I have become what I've always said I would never become. I cannot stop drinking. I've seen it in my family. My life is out of control. Others of you would say, you know what, if I could just go back, if I could just change things, if, if I could just go back, I wish I'd never had the abortion or, or I wish I'd never forced her to have an abortion. Uh, you look back and you say, I cheated my way all the way through school. I pretended it was my work and my grades, but it was not. Maybe you say, I committed adultery. Maybe you say, my outward appearance is not congruent with my inner life. Maybe you would even say, you know what, this is painful for me to admit, but I've not been a very good mother. I've not been a very good dad. Not been a great son, not been a great daughter. Maybe you too, like they would have said in that day, in the midst of all of their turmoil, was looking around and their life was in smoldering ruins to say, you know what, I too have ignored God. I've disobeyed God. I've rebelled against God, the God that I know loves me. And I'm just telling you, friends, God loves you in a way that you can't even imagine. It's what I want you to understand. I feel it so deeply in the core of who I am and just trying to say it to you and just remind you again. You've heard me say this before. You could not do anything that could cause God to love you any more than what God loves you right now. You could not do anything that would cause God to love you any less. Because God's love for you is perfect, and he looks at your life, and he sees the small town ruins, and he sees the mistakes, and he sees the challenges, and he sees the regrets, and he sees the guilt, and he sees the shame, and yet he says, you know what? You move with me. You follow me. You go my way. Your future can be bright. It can be hopeful. Your past has not demolished your future. Some years ago, I picked up a book by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend, called How People Grow, and in it is this statement. I want you to see it on the screen. For many people, uh, for many people, obedience means to be deprived and withheld from. In their eyes, in their eyes, God basically says, be really good and don't do any fun stuff with no real benefit for them except maybe in heaven. And they so accurately say, nothing could be further from the truth. Obedience leads to very good things for us. And a lot of us in our, in our past have been on that road sometimes where we just thought, this is the path, and I'm just going to keep going down this path. That's the target. I'm going to try to hit that target. And then we got to the end of that, and we just said, really? It is not what I thought. It is not as I envisioned. It is not that sense of peace. It's not that sense of satisfaction. I don't feel significance. In fact, you feel just the opposite, regret guilt and shame and how did I ever get here some of you have even wondered when you look back you say was that really me was that really me who did that was that really a decision that I made we've said a lot about Jeremiah earlier but before we're finished there's something about the rest of the story you just got to see is it's uh it's amazing to me really because you would think you know, here it, here it was. God had come to him again and again just saying, here's the right path. It sent Jeremiah. Get on this path. This is my plan. I'm not saying this to shut down the fun in your life. In fact, if you follow this path, 
path. There's going to be so much joy, so much peace, so much fulfillment in your life. But they just kept saying, no, no, forget God, forget God, or at least we're going to remember God, but we're going to remember him in the midst of all these other gods. And you think it would have been over. No prospect of a good future for them at all. But yet God allows Jeremiah to capture a glimpse of the future. And when he saw it, he began to talk about it. In fact, in chapter uh, 29, we find three incredible verses, and I want you to see them on the screen. And I pray that from them you will draw hope and confidence, even within your own life, about the future that you could have in God. In Jeremiah 29, look at verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, and he's pointing back to when Jerusalem was overthrown, 70 years, he said, when that is completed, I will come to you, God is saying, and I will fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And then God said, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you what? Hope, plans to give you a future. And then God said, you're going to call upon me and you're going to come and pray to me and I will listen to you. I will hear you. You see, often you and I think of grace as just being in the New Testament. It's like the Old Testament is harsh and it's negative. But, man, if we could only get into the New Testament. Old Testament, God, judgment. New Testament, Jesus and grace. But I'm telling you, there's no more beautiful picture of grace than you can find anywhere in the Bible than the verses that we just read. Beautiful picture of grace. To this people in this community who had time and time again disobeyed God and rejected God, even placed within the house of worship these pagan idols from Egypt and Canaan and Assyria, and they served themselves and their own purpose and wanted to do it their way and not God's way. It's amazing to me that in, in the middle of all of that, when they're looking around at their lives that's in smoldering ruins, when God says, this is what I want, I want you to come back to me. And if you will. I will give you a future, and I will give you hope. If you return to me, God says, then I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to restore the plan that I'd set in motion for you even before you were born, and I'm going to take all of your despair, and I'm going to replace it with hope, and you will not be shackled to your past any longer, but instead I will create a future for you that is beyond your wildest imagination, and that is God's plan for you. That is God's dream for you. I really like what Erwin McManus has written. You'll see it here on the screen. Is there a moment you keep reliving again and again? To relive, to relive the past, he said, is to relinquish the future. And if you're willing to let go of the past, then you are ready to step into the future. And that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to walk away from your past, to just say, I'm not going to allow that to keep me chained up for the rest of my life. Yeah, I mean, be honest about it. Just, you know, regret. Just own that. Admit it. But you got to walk past that. You've got to walk beyond that into the future. I hear people from time to time say things like this, and it sounds good. It sounds noble. I just wish I could do it. Where people say, just forget it. Just forget your past. Just forget your past mistakes. How many of you are like me? Easier said than done. Easier said than done. Because there's something about the complexity of our brain that just retains information, sometimes information that we'd like to forget. Isn't it funny how we do this? We remember things we want to forget, and at times we can't even remember where our car keys or sunglasses are. 
Isn't that amazing? How many of you have ever had to do this before? You, you walk into the parking lot and you're like, mm. it's here somewhere. And, and, and you don't see it. And then you say, well, at least I can sound my horn. And how many of you have, uh, come on, honesty, how many of you have done that before? Okay, there, uh, there it is, two and a half miles that direction. I literally walked out. I'd been at the gym recently, and I went from the gym because the clo- uh, grocery store is close by. I, I parked. I was certain I parked in a parking spot. I, I'm certain because I parked in that or close to that parking spot before. And I walked out of the grocery store, and I thought, great. It's not been a very, very good day, and somebody has stolen my car. <laughs> it's gone. It, great. My car's gone. It's like, and then I started thinking, well, maybe it's not. And I, and I walked around a little longer, and whoever stole my car moved it to a different parking place. We'd like to forget our past, but it's easier said than done. But we can forgive ourselves. You see, you know what I believe this morning? I believe some of you are struggling more with forgiving yourself than you are with God forgiving you. Sometimes, if you found this to be true, sometimes it's easier to allow God to forgive you than it is for you to forgive yourself and to move forward. And God says, you know what? I want you to return to me. I want you to come back to me. I want to encourage every person that is here today to step away from your painful past and into the future that God has planned for your life. One last verse from Jeremiah, and we're done. Look at this verse. Jeremiah 24, 7, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I will give them a heart to know me that I'm the Lord. And this is the people. Listen, this is not all the good people that we're doing right. These are the people, no, don't want to hear it, don't want to hear Rejecting God, rebelling against God, their own path, their own target. And now God says, yeah, I'm talking about you. I will give you a heart to know me that I am the Lord. And you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And I want you to return to me with all your heart. And that's what God is saying to many of you that are here today. I want you to return to me. Some of you have walked with Jesus in the past, and, and you just got off doing your own thing, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to sow some oats, I'm going to do my own deal, I'm going to go my own way, you know what, I'm just going to have a little fun for a while, and I'm going to go, and nobody's going to tell me no, I'm going to pursue what I want, how I want to, and then you're like, you look at your life, and it's, again, smoldering ruins, and God says, you know what, I'm still here, come to me, come on back to me. Others of you, you've just never come to God. And God said, you know what? I created you to love you. And I'm not trying to crimp your style. I'm not trying to take the thought and joy out of your life. But if you'll follow my ways, God would say, then you're going to have that peace and that joy and that fulfillment and that satisfaction and that significance that you've been looking for for so long and you can exchange it for all of the guilt and remorse and shame. What an invitation. It's available to us all. So here's what we do. We step away from our past and into a future that is riff with hope and optimism because God is the forgiver and God is the leader of our life. And he said, you get a new start. You get a blank page. You're my people. I'm your God. What an amazing thing. Would you stand with me, everybody, closing prayer?
we wrap up this morning, everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes, even when you raise your hand in just a moment. Don't even open your eyes then. Just lift it up, put it back down. How many of you would say, you know, Jeff, I'm here today, and I just I need to receive the forgiveness of God. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've done wrong. The Bible says all of us have sinned. We fall short of the glorious ideal of God's plan for our life. And you'll just say, I need the forgiveness of God today. I need to confess my sin. I need to confess my wrong. And I just need to come clean before God. If that's you, you just lift your hand. Let me pray for you right there where you're at. I'm just going to pray. You're not going to come forward. I'm not going to isolate you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But you, right there where you're at, you just say, I need God to forgive me. How many of you, heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. You just say, you know what? Here's what I'm struggling with. I'm struggling to forgive myself. I believe that God has forgiven me, but I'm struggling to forgive myself. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Just lift it up real high. And let me pray for you right there where you're at. God, we're, we're so sorry. We know that we've sinned. We know that we've done wrong. You showed us a path, and we took a different one. You set a target before us, and we aimed at a different one. You had a plan to bless us and to give us peace and joy, but we did it our own way. And now we have regret. Now we have sin. Fallen short of your glorious ideal for our life. And we need your forgiveness. We need your grace. We need your mercy. And your word tells us, God, that if we'll confess our sins, you are faithful and just. Forgive us of our sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need your forgiveness. But God, all of us, we need to forgive ourselves. We need to move beyond it. We know that our mind will not completely turn loose of it, but, God, we're not going to be shackled by it any longer. We're going to move into a future. Thank you, God, for the word that you said to people in Jeremiah's day. You say all to us, I have a good plan for you, that you may have a future and that you may have a hope. And we rest in that today. And we consciously make the choice to step into the future with you, hand in hand, heart to heart, to love you and serve you and obey you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I love you, everybody. God bless you. Have an awesome week. I'll see you right back here next Sunday.